to one another's life. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 4 tonight. Luke chapter 4. When I was in college, they told us repetition is the key to learning. And so I want to go back over this one more time tonight and give two extra points, the Lord willing, if time would permit. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 4. Across the top of the message tonight, whether you take notes or not, you may do it verbally, appointed and anointed for service. Say it again. Luke chapter 4, let's read verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. First time you see the personal pronoun me in verse 18. Because he hath anointed me, there it is again, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me. There the personal pronoun me is found one more time. Three times in this passage to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and sit at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, anointed, appointed, and anointed for service. Father, make me a blessing tonight. Clear my throat, clear my head. Help me to think distinctly and clearly. Be able to say what needs to be said for just a few moments. Thank you for all those who are involved tonight and sitting on the stage. The potential, Lord, is there, that you'll mold them and make them after your will. Help our leaders to guide them in the right direction and stand for the old-time religion. And Father, we'll love you tonight. Thank you for the privilege of opening up the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray and for His sake. Amen. Amen. May be seated. The first thing I said about this passage is there's a pattern for us. He used it three times. Me, me, me. And when you read chapter 4, you find the pattern for our service. Now, it's supposed to be appointed and anointed for service. He appoints us and anoints us. He appoints us and anoints us. That's his goal, is to appoint us and to anoint us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that pattern is given to us so real quickly, just in review. There's three things we're supposed to be like Christ. He's our pattern. We're to follow in his steps, the Bible says. And the Bible teaches us that he's our master and Lord. In 1 Peter 2.21, it talks about following in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, we are to be like him in what he was. Be like him what he what? What he was. Say it real loud. And that means, first of all, he was a son of God. He was a what? And he was the holy son of God. I'm supposed to be the same thing, and you're supposed to be the same thing as a Christian follows the Lord Christ-like. I am not the son of God, but I am a son of God, and you are too. And I am to be a holy son of God righteous. We're not perfect like he was, but our goal should always be perfection, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, we are to be like him in what he did. And say that with me, please. And the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, he went around doing, about doing good, and he was a volunteer to help folks throughout his itinerary ministry of three and a half years. He just a humble, humble servant. He said, I come not to be served, but to serve. Uh, he took the role of a servant all the way through his life of those three and a half years that he ministered to people in that area years ago. And he said, we're to be like him 
in what he was, but also what he did. So I'm supposed to be like Jesus. You're supposed to be like Jesus. I'm to go around doing good. I can't do good without him because he's God. God makes me good. It's not my goodness. It's his goodness. And whatever goodness you have that helps people comes from God. Others, Lord, let me live for others. Let me live like thee. Even when I kneel to pray, help my prayer to be for others. So I'm to be like him what he was. He was a son of God. He was a holy son of God. I was to, I am to be like him in what he did. He went about doing good in those three and a half years. That's a pattern for us to follow in the Lord Jesus Christ's step and to be just as good as we possibly can. But he gives the power in this passage also, and I'll come to it before we pray tonight. And then lastly, in the three me's, we not only are to be like him what he was and to be like him what he, what he did, but to be like him in what he said. And the Bible tells us that he spoke the words of his heavenly father, John 8, 28, 14, 10. And he teaches us not to use corrupt communication. Have you noticed something on television in recent years? Maybe I'm just, maybe I just catch it when it's on. Maybe it's the newscasters. They use a lot more cussing. You remember when the time when they blocked out the word hell on, on television? And, and the word damn, and I'm not cussing either time. I said, I'm just telling the words. They wouldn't, they wouldn't use it. It hadn't been too long ago. And now they've gone beyond that. They're using lots of words that are not fit for gutter. And they use it in the name of news or telling a story or telling some event. And they use it over and over again. We are being a corrupted society. And the tongue is, comes from the heart. And what's in the, what's in the heart comes out in the mouth. And the Bible teaches, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your, li- out of your mouth. And that, I can't imagine Jesus cussing. I can't imagine him using vulgar words. I can't imagine him using a lot of words that we use. And we've got to be careful. We left off talking about that the other night. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father of above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. So he is our pattern for service. He is our what? Number one, he is our pattern for service. He said, I have appointed you, and I'm also going to anoint you to be just like I am in this world. I'm supposed to represent Jesus the very best way that I can. Do you ever fail and falter? I'm sure the answer is yes. But the righteous man falls down seven times. He gets back up again. He says, forgive me, Lord. He wants to do better. He don't want to go back and repeat all the things over and over again. He wants victory in his life. He doesn't always succeed in every area, but it ought to be his goal to be just as perfect as he possibly can. And then I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, the program for our service It's found in verse 18 and 19. I want you to look at it again because this is the people we're supposed to minister to and may God help us to minister to as many of them as we possibly can. We need to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. The word gospel means what? Say it real loud. Good. Say it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel is the good news of salvation for it is the power of God for his power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Brother John quoted that last week to us. And how important it is to realize the gospel is good news and is the power. That word dynamite, where we get dynamite is the word power. Dudamos in the Greek language is the word for dynamite. The gospel is the dynamite, the power of God. Somebody said you could set out a fire and blow the meanness out of you. And there's power, power, power 
in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I find myself in recent days reading more scripture than I used to, even publicly. Sometimes going through chapter or maybe six or eight or ten verses. Sometimes we just pick out a verse and speak on it. But there's time just to read the scripture. And the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And let Jesus say what he wants to say. And he can say it better than we can say it. Sometimes it's better just to read the holy word of God. But he gives five categories of people that we're supposed to take the good news to. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the good news. For it's the power of God unto salvation. And so he mentions those five groups in this passage. Number one, the poor. Outside the word poor, I put the word bankrupt. The rich and the poor alike need to be saved, but especially the poor, they're more receptive. They're faster to receive. It's like a child is quicker to receive the gospel than an older person. And sometimes because the poor person realizes they don't have anything, some of them are in terrible desperation, and they may not be bankrupt in the sense of not having anything, but when they come to Christ, they almost got to come with the attitude that they don't have anything. Here I am. Lord, I need to be saved. I know my only hope is in you. And when they realize, he said, go to the poor people. And that parable that we mentioned Sunday or Sunday week about going to the highways and the hedges to compel them to come in. The blind, the poor, the bruised, everybody you can, just bring them in. Bring them in. It'd be good on a regular basis that we can see folks that are not like us. Sometimes we try to get people just be just like us and put us in the same mold. I was a kid and carried Chris while I go and come to church. Uh, was he in here tonight? They were teenagers went outside, didn't they? Okay. Uh, Chris has red shoes on. I said, boy, them red shoes are going to really set you on fire. And uh, the red as could be. Now, I wouldn't be wearing red shoes to church. I, but he can. And it's all right me if he wears them on Wednesday night. When he starts singing in special numbers, we're probably moving to, because people watch his red shoes. You don't want to call attention to yourself. But... Uh, we have all kind of folks who come to church over the years. Uh, when you run the bus ministry, you have the rich, the poor. You have a lot of folks who are in different situations and backgrounds. Some of them don't have dads and moms. Some of them have split homes. Some of them have uh, homes that are full of drugs and alcohol. And that's the kind of, it ought to be a normal thing to see people come to church who look different. I mean, they dress different because of the fact that they are in another culture. And our responsibility is to give them the gospel and God can help clean them up to put them as they ought, as they ought to be for the glory of God. So the bankrupt or the poor. Number two, to heal the brokenhearted. So the next one is the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. He said, I want you to take the gospel to the brokenhearted. The good news, there's help for the brokenhearted. Joseph Parker said, I think he said last week, there's one in every pew. In every pew, You'll find somebody brokenhearted on any church. It may be widows, maybe cancer victims, maybe lost, maybe somebody just lost a baby, maybe somebody just lost some parents, it may be some rebellious kids, and the list goes on and on and on. Probably could go all day long. But he said, Take the gospel to the brokenhearted. Number three, deliverance to the captives, those that's bound. Take the gospel to those that are bound. And many folks are bound by iniquity. And they're in despair, and they can't quit. They want to quit. It's a terrible sometimes. Some of them make bad choices in life, and I realize that. And somebody says, well, they made their bed, let them lay in it. Well, what Jesus says is take up your bed and walk. If we could ever get the gospel, folks. See, we're trying all these programs to rehabilitate folk, 
They just constantly need to be bombarded with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth that God loves them. But they've got to realize the sin has got them bound. It's not a psychological thing. It's not just a, a social disorder. They're bound by sin. And the only thing to break the shackle of sin is the power of the gospel. And we need to realize they're bound in sin and having a difficulty in their lifestyle and the way they live. I know everybody has battles with some things, but some people are just terribly bound. I have homosexuality uh, in my notes here and how God can set them free. <clears throat> and I mentioned about the young man in our church years ago who was a homosexual. And he said it began when I was 12 years old, preacher. And he said he was 27 when he got saved. And he said, I'm a pervert now. He said, my life has been ruined. He said, I don't know if there's any hope for me. But if there's any hope for me, I'm crying out for God. And he made his decision on April the 1st, April Fool's Day, when he made his decision for Christ. Had a long way to go to come back. And uh, you never know who you're talking to and what person involved. And the individuals uh, have all kinds of lifestyles. They need to be delivered from that which is wrong, biblically, no matter who it is. And that's just somebody said, how about the heterosexuals? And well, they need to be delivered too. If they're living in immorality and fornication and adultery, get them right with God. One of the first things they want to do is to please God, do right, and get their act together. And then the recovering of the sight to the blind. So you have the blind people. Uh, blind people need to be saved. Everybody agree? And blind people go to heaven or hell. And they're out there sometimes where... You ever notice when you talk to blind people, you talk loud? I wonder why that is. You talk louder when you're talking to blind people. Like they, They're not deaf. They just can't see good. But we talk louder to them because we're expecting some unusual thing to happen, I guess. But there's a lot of blind people that need the Lord, a lot of deaf and dumb people, you know, those who have the ability to talk in the, with their fingers uh, to others in some services. Some churches even have a, a section of the auditorium uh, for deaf and dumb folks because they need the gospel. We may feel sorry for them because they're like that, but God still loves them and wants them to be saved and wants to take them to heaven when they die. And may God help us to realize that everybody is spiritually blind. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, there it is again, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why are people blind? Sometimes we expect blind people to see. They ought to know better. They ought to be able to see what they're doing. The Bible says blind people, lost people are blind. And we've got to help get the light to them. The light shines on them and, and the gospel comes and their eyes are open. And then we ought to pray, Lord, open their eyes that they may see. But sometimes we're trying to get unsaved people to live, live saved lives who have never been saved. We try to sometimes put the, put the cart before the horse. We'll try to clean them up and make them live a certain way before they can do anything. Then you get saved, then live right. Just get saved, get their eyes open, and you get your eyes open, you'll see differently. You'll see through different eyes. And then the last one, you set at liberty those that are bruised. So you have the bankrupt. Repeat it with me, please. You have the what? You have the brokenhearted. You have the bound. You have the blind. You have the bruised. And anybody else in there that comes along and fits in the category of one of those. The bruised are those who are special attacks of the devil, like the men of Gadaria. I think I mentioned him even last week. 
how he went home to his mom, to his wife, probably, if you can imagine the scene, after being shackled and breaking the shackles, after being demon-possessed in the tombs of his day, running naked through the cemetery, screaming and hollering, demon-possessed. And when he was delivered by Jesus Christ over the demons, there was 2,000 of them went into the hogs and went over the hill and committed suicide because they had to dwell somewhere and they tried to dwell in those hogs. Demonism is real. We probably don't talk enough about it. Sometimes we think it's something like make-believe and maybe some fairy tale or some movie. But demonism is real. When I was in college back in days gone by, 1960-something, we had a missionary lady. She never was married. Her name was Miss Barnard. And as a young girl, she had the call of God to go to India. This is back in the 30s. And uh, she made a decision. She got to India and she became a missionary to the Indian folks. But she said she told stories of what happened when she was on the mission field. And uh, if Nancy may remember this, but she could stand and pray for one hour and never, never miss a beat. Just, uh, she said, let's pray. And she started praying. Sometimes the whole class would be just praying while she prayed with her. She prayed with us. But she would pray an whole hour, standing on her feet, never miss a lick. Just pray. She said she remembers how they used to, she felt like demons were chasing her, trying to grab her purse or grab her neck, running down the street of some places in India. She said, I encountered demons regularly. And there are regularly places. There are. And it's becoming, America is becoming demonic more and more. And if you're not keeping your eyes open, you're seeing more and more things about Satan on television than you used to. And you have the clubs now, they're trying to meet in all the public schools, the satanic clubs. If the Bible clubs can meet, so can the satanic clubs. And they are meeting and trying to get into every school they can in America to have a club and to draw young people into that. And a lot of the emphasis, a lot of the rock stars, rock music is demonic and deals with the subject of the devil. And uh, if you did a study on rock music, you'd probably find an album called 666. Uh, you'd probably find one called The Antichrist. You'll find all the subjects in the Bible that the, the, the devil is opposed to Christ. So he takes the very things in the Bible about him and turns them into something that young people could be indoctrinated and their minds distorted and ruined. I'm against all rock music and all, about all country music. Amen. Just against all of it. Somebody says, why do you don't care for country music? Because you can understand it. Most rock music, some of them, I don't know how they understand it anyhow. Go on, some guy rambles on. Maybe you do some rapping or something. Maybe you can understand the rapping. Um, I'm not sure what rapping music is, but I wish they'd unwrap and quit it. I mean, rapping, you're going to rap. Now we've got a gospel rap. I read it today. These groups travel the country called Gospel Rap for Jesus. Well, you say you're being judgmental. I'll tell you what, I just don't believe it glorifies the Lord. Uh, when you get out there and j- j- jumping around like an idiot and like a heathen person, and most of them dress ungodly, most of them dress immodestly, men and women, and they're trying to propagate their words to a group of folks who need Jesus. They don't need all that kind of hippity-hop stuff. Then they get old dose out of them and never sing a song. But if you get saved, you'll sing songs like, He lifted me up for the great, uh, you know, Christ rose from the dead. Uh, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and so forth. And all those things come into our lives. And I think singing privately is precious. And it's precious when you do it publicly. But anyhow, there's much of it that's demonic and getting you into a sway, getting you into a mood, trying to control your mind. 
and how sad that is. Many of folks were blinded, like the man of Gadaria, maybe not as bad as he was, maybe didn't have as many demons as he had, but he was corrupt and evil and needed a touch, and he was sitting clothed and right in his right mind at the feet of Jesus Christ. Number three, first of all, you have the pattern. Number two, you have the program. Number three, you have the period for service. How long? Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What's the acceptable year of the Lord? When should you get saved? When should you get saved? What year should you get saved? What day should you get saved? What's the Bible say about when you should be saved? This is the day. This is the day of your salvation. And how important it is to make that decision for Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. How long have we left to preach the gospel? How long will we be able to herald the truth and tell them personally and collectively in churches and campaigns and, and places and also on the, at their doorknob, at their, at their, door, at the, at their doors? Uh, y'all keep praying for me. Uh, some of the stuttering I got, maybe the Lord will deliver me from it, the Lord willing. My mind works about two notches behind what I'm trying to say. So just forgive me if it don't come across right. But I find myself trying to get the word out. And you, you, you probably would just go ahead and say the word. If you say door, I'll say that's right. You may just read my lips what's supposed to come next. Uh, but anyhow, if i got to stutter all the way to heaven, I'm going to do it. Amen. If that's what God wants me to do. Um, but I've asked him to show me divine favor because it's, uh, it's probably the most difficult battle I've ever fought personally in my life. And, and it, yes, it does. But anyhow, the period of our service, how long have we to preach the gospel? Now is the day of our salvation. Them that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out. Those that come to me, I will no wise cast out. When? When they come. Whenever they come. And the Bible says, and the Spirit and the bride say to come. And come. You see that favorite word of God popping up a lot of times in the word of God. Come, come, come. The period for our service is now, now, now. Tomorrow it may be too late. Somebody said it in the office this week or today and this evening. That if they die, they may be going to hell. They waited one day too late. All of us are going to die one of these days if Jesus tears is coming. And the heart's going to cease to beat. And we're going to face the eternal God, everlasting God. It's either heaven or hell. And yet so many folks today live as though he's never going to die. And when they come down to die, they all think they're going to go to heaven because they've done one good deed in life or they've been pretty good people. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because you're saved. You don't go to heaven because you did a lot of good deeds and fed the poor and helped people. That's all well and good. But you go to heaven because you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I have a book in my library somewhere. I thought about it today. Uh, it's called Jesus Coming in 1988. Anybody remember that book? Brother, remember that? Carol, you remember uh, the last guy's name was Wiseman or something. Anyhow, he wrote a book, Why well, I Believe That Jesus Come in 1988, and it was sent to every preacher, I guess, in America, at least back in those days, back in the 70s. I know I got one in the mail. Very interesting. And why Jesus is coming in 1988. And I think he had 88 reasons why he was coming in 1988. Anyhow, he went through his discourse, and we read it. Everybody waited to see what happened. And 98 passed and 1989 come in. You know what he did? He wrote another book. He said, I believe I was off on my calculations just a little bit. So he wrote one and Jesus going to come in 1989. 
Jesus is going to come when he gets ready. And I think he's ready now to come. And the fathers want to say to the son, son, go get your bride. And when Jesus steps off the balcony in heaven in the battlements of, of glory and the angel shouts and the, knows the trumpet and the shouts made, he descends from heaven. First Thessalonians chapter 4. What a wonderful day that'll be. And that could be right now. The rapture could come anytime. Sometimes we make reference to all the, some of the tribulation uh, events that got to occur. As far as the rapture is concerned, it could happen in a moment. In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, it could come. And the signs are getting ready. Everywhere you look, it just looks like everything is moving toward world power, one man control. Somebody's got to handle this mess we're in. And what we've got to do is get the right man elected. And that won't solve the problem altogether. But I hope we get the right man elected. Uh, whoever that is, I think there's not too much to pick from, but there's some to pick from. And hopefully everybody will vote right. And hopefully we can get the right man to spare us as far as our country is concerned, to help us. But the fact is, we get our eyes on Jesus Christ. He raises up leaders and takes them down. We've said that many times. That's Bible. Sometimes he raises up men and says, boy, this is going to be good for us. And then he may take him down. Sometimes he uses heathen kings to accomplish his purposes. As you read the Old Testament, I mean, like Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, etc. He took those evil kings sometime and used them and then they accomplished what he wanted them to accomplish for him. God's in charge. God's in control. It doesn't make any difference about what man thinks altogether. The day of judgment is not far, far, it's not far away. John 9, 4 says, Work while it's day, for night cometh when no man can work. James 5, 8 says, Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Coming draweth nigh. Draweth nigh. Could be tonight. Last thing you ought to do before you pillow your eyes or not, and so should be mine. Lord, I'm ready. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I'll see you in the morning. And what Dr. Rice always did, John Rice, before he went to bed, he kissed his Bible. He laid over on the stand beside his bed. He said, Lord, I'm going to sleep now. I'll see you in the morning if, if you still want me to be around. If not, I'll see you in glory. Good night. I love you. And they said, just like that, he's asleep. When one preacher traveled with him for a long time, John L. Rice was the 20th century pen, probably, in fundamentalism, wrote a lot of books, preached a lot of sermons. And uh, I think Dr. Howe said he stayed in the same room with him in the motel. They both got ready for bed, and Dr. Howe figured John L. Rice would pray for an hour before he went to bed. He just got over and got kissed his Bible, told the Lord good night, got in bed and went to sleep. Dr. Howe said, well, that just don't seem right. And he says, well, John all Rice can do it. I can do it too. Lord, I love you. Good night. See you in the morning. And he said, about 3 o'clock in the morning, though, I heard a groan. I looked over there and John all Rice was on his knees, praying and weeping and crying while I was trying to sleep. I thought, that, I thought he was just doing wrong, not praying before he went to sleep. But he picked another time during the night just to get up and pray a while. You can't always judge a man by his prayer life if he doesn't do it exactly like you do it. Um, I just finished a book again by E.M. Bounds, e. Bounds on the power of prayer. It's a convicting book and one that brings great conviction to my own soul. They talked about the praying of the average person. The average person probably doesn't pray five minutes a day if they pray that long. And I think it was Brother Wilkerson the other night when he preached up at West Park. He said, one of the greatest battles I have is when I get down to pray. 
my mind says, I've got to do this, I need to get this done, it begins to wander. And I've got to fight the spiritual battle and put on the whole armor of God just to pray. And praying is the toughest thing you'll do, probably one of them in the Christian life. I can read the Word of God a lot easier I can pray. And when you start praying, you get down with business with God. It's not a matter of how long you pray, but you will find yourself praying longer, and you will find yourself spending more time. And maybe throughout the day, I think it was a verse of Scripture I read the other day, that said, uh, love the fear of the Lord all day long. No, fear the Lord all day long. Fear the Lord all day long. And if we can keep our mind on God, I need to. And there's times to pray when things pop to your mind. You can talk to God any time. I close with this tonight. Our service is the power that we ought to have. The anointing of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and the other most parts of the world. The Bible says in Psalms 92.10, I will be anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil. If there's one thing I know I need in my life tonight is fresh oil. I think all of us need to be reminded it is the unction of the Holy One that gets the job done. It's not how smart I am. It's not how many verses I've got memorized. It's not how many lessons I teach. It's not how many miles I travel. It's not how many songs I sung. But the Bible says it's the unction of the Holy One. Give me the unction. I used to hear the old timers pray for that. They get up to preach and say, Oh God, give us the unction. Or about behind, out behind the church praying, they say, Give us the unction of the Holy Spirit. It was a strange word to me, except for I heard, heard the old timers pray it, the unction. And then they coined the little phrase, you need the, func- you need the unction for the function. If you're going to be able to function right, you need the unction. And the unction is simply the power of God in your life to help you. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's a simple verse, but it's so needed. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. When I started preaching at the age of 18, I quoted that verse of Scripture hundreds of times. Scared, shy, backward, introvert. And they'd say, no, I'm going to ask Brother James to come and preach for us. I know he's got something to say. I thought, yeah, I hope I do. <laughs> You know, I get up and I quote that verse of Scripture from my seat to here under my breath. I can do all things. And I preach. Sometimes I preach five minutes. Sometimes I preach 35 minutes. And the years went by. I've been known to preach an hour. You wouldn't probably know that. There's been a few times I've preached an hour and a half. But the fact is, and I preach in a lot of places around the world. I had the privilege of doing it. And I'm thankful for that. And God allowed me to do it. But I've always used that verse of Scripture no matter what the setting is, I can do all things through Christ. May God challenge you. May God challenge me afresh to have fresh oil, to have the power of God upon our lives. All is vain unless the Holy One come down. I think Brandon sung it this past week, you know, gathered to worship, to, adore, to praise His name and to adore the God we love. And let's come and worship the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. May God help us tonight that we'll glean the truth from 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 um, Luke four four eighteen to be appointed to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in these days. Let's stand together, please, for prayer. If you have a need on your heart, by all means, the altar is always open. The invitation is open. If you want to come, pray about anything or everything's on your heart. 
or if you want to come and get saved or rededicate your life, the invitation is always open. Father, take the frailty of this human body, but take the power of thy word and weave them together and let the word of God find lodging place in every heart. I pray, O God, for the power of God to be upon our lives. Lord, not just to have a program, not just to have a performance, not just to go through the show of entertainment, but Lord, to be able to sing songs from our heart, to preach from our heart, to teach from our heart, to serve from our heart, that you'll put the anointing of God upon our lives. God, we need you tonight. I need you. I'm sure everybody in the room would recognize they need you. And may we yield ourselves to you, body, soul, and mind, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may be more like the Lord Jesus Christ and know the will of God. Blessed we pray the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. As we begin to sing the very first verse, if you need to come.